Hey everybody, welcome to another fun movie in the Bald Move Pulp Feed. This one is uh, 1999's Galaxy Quest, and we have a singular individual to thank for the production of this podcast, Anne Marin, uh, who is a, a giant lifelong Star Trek fan, it turns out, as we're going to find out in her dedication, uh, and who recently had us watch Chaos on the Bridge. Mm-hmm. which was a highly entertaining documentary about the first three seasons of Star Trek. She's back with Galaxy Quest, which is, among other things, a loving tribute to uh, the cheesy uh, kind of science fiction films of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and their fans' passionate relationship with same. Uh, it's a great movie. I've seen this, oh, at least a half a dozen times over the years. Uh, saw it, I think, twice in the theaters uh, when it came out. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, Jim, what did you think of this movie? Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that it's a love letter because I feel like the best parodies are always love letters to the source material, uh, and this is no exception. This is an excellent parody, in my opinion. I haven't seen maybe a more modern parody or take on Star Trek The Orville, uh, although this mm. movie kind of makes me want to go watch it just because I'm feeling between chaos on the bridge and this i'm feeling that nostalgia kick uh, yeah and watching all the star trek we've been doing in our personal life yeah right right we've been watching star trek next generation um and i feel like the people who made this really love star trek and they're just looking to have a little fun with the franchise um yeah and and as a star trek fan a, a fan you know mostly of next generation but also very much of uh the original series I I felt like I was in the Star Trek universe with maybe a different crew on a different ship um, at, at times in this movie. Uh, and yeah. it's sillier, but honestly, is it that much sillier um, than the original <laughs> series? I've seen Spock's brain. I know how silly Star Trek can get. I've Absolutely. seen the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation. It's it's not blameless for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because um, it's this is a spoof and parody, but not quite. It's a really inventive framing device because, you know, you think of Spaceballs, which I enjoy, but it's got its limits. You know, it's uh, it, it's essentially um, a lot of sight gags and like, oh, you know, when the, the Star Trek or Star Wars does this, isn't it funny? And we're going to make it silly. And there's not a whole lot of connective tissue. I mean, this is a fucking narrative. Yeah. Um, you know, if you haven't seen Galaxy Quest, the framing device is that 20 years after Galaxy Quest, this storied science fiction, cheesy production uh, that starred all these a- actors uh, who were tragically typecast into the roles. They're now doing the con circuit and going to all the Galaxy Quest conventions and making personal appearances in character and and kind of like uh, hating life. And it's it's roughly based on a lot of you know, broad strokes of how the original crew of the Enterprise felt about Bill Shatner, for example. And then uh, as the first act turns into the second, um, aliens, like this is a, a bar- borrowing a, a structure from uh, Contact, have observed our deep, uh, uh, the, the television signals we've been beaming into deep space and are so impressed with the commander of this uh, NSEA protector and his dashing do, daring do, and his skilled diplomacy, and his tactical genius, 
recruit him to helm a replica of the ship that they've built, not knowing because their race is built entirely on honesty and integrity and they can't conceptually think of dishonesty and lies, not not realizing that these are just actors. Um, and the, the conceit of the movie is these, you know, like Bill Shatner has to become Commander Kirk or Captain Kirk or this alien race is going to die. And also, since he's on the ship, he's going to die too. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's got... So that gives it a lot of like poignancy, you know, because um, I think that the engine that makes it work is like there's a little bit of the feeling you feel as a fan when your heroes let you down. Like, you know, if William Shatner says something shitty about your fandom on Saturday Night Live or, or if on Leonard Twitter, Moy writes yeah. or on Twitter, or Leonard Moy writes uh, a book, says I am not Spock, where he repudiates his role and kind of chides the fandom that that sting you feel I mean, that's what makes this engine, that's what makes this movie go. It's it's that times a million because now it's like, you know, if all of Earth was relying on Bill Shatner to actually be Kirk and you find out that he's actually kind of a bloated, washed up has been. Uh Oh, shit. What are we going to do? And, you know, uh, there's a lot of, um, I think, interesting stuff that the the fact that the kind of crew hates his guts because he's a diva and he's soaked up all the spotlight and he kind of takes them for granted and. Um, you know, the fact that, uh, w- what if, what if, uh, the actors needed encyclopedic fan knowledge of mm-hmm. the franchise that they don't give a shit about? What if like one day, like, like my Star Trek technical manual was able to save Patrick Stewart's life? Uh-huh. You know, th- they have moments like that and they're, they're, they're all great and all part of a narrative, which elevates it, I think above, you know, your, your average spoof or, or uh, a piss take at a, at a franchise. Yeah, so. th- that's what makes it really feel like the love letter, right? It's it's people who have a deep understanding of both the, you know, that comes from having watched the show, but also having mm-hmm. been fans of it for so long and then being entrenched yeah. in, you know, that that community and that culture. Uh, you can tell that these people are Star Trek fans, not just people who were hired to write a spoof of Star Trek. And what's interesting, um, maybe we should, I, I don't know, maybe we should get the let Anne Marin uh, chime in here with her dedication, and then yeah. we can talk a little bit. Uh, from, from here on out, we already talked to Conceit, and we both love the movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, you should go see it. You can buy it for five bucks on Amazon right now. Um, but uh, we let, let, let's read her dedication, and we can get into spoilers and talk a little bit more, because, man, you, you're right, like... Uh, I didn't even know how many homages and inside jokes and Easter eggs were packed into this movie. Uh, and in researching and reading about it since watching it this this most recent time, like I just I just couldn't believe it. Like these people really do love this source material and, and know a hell of a lot about it. Hmm. Um, Anne says, I went to my first Star Trek convention at the tender age of eight. My older brother had somehow convinced my parents that a celebration of a show that's no longer on the air was a once in a lifetime experience not to be missed. I remember walking among the comic books and the tribbles covering the folding tables, running up and down the length of a carpeted ballroom of whatever New York City hotel had agreed to host this strange happening. It was a year before the release of Star Wars, uh, and science fiction conventions were still a rarity. I recall waiting near one in the, uh, of the merchandise tables while my brother selected a model of the Enterprise he would later build at home. Uh, we had... Are you a stranger to building Star Trek models, Jim? Because I've I've constructed at least three separate enterprises. Oh damn! I haven't done that many, but I've definitely tried. Uh, I think I tried a Defiant once. I don't know. Mm, I did. I did a one seven zero one A, which is the movie 
uh-huh. the, the movie version of the Enterprise, and then two Ds, which is the classic okay. uh, next generation model. Yeah. One, I went all out. I did LED lighting and everything. The nacelles is pretty fucking. Where is? I've never seen slick. that. I've been to your house. I si- well, my sister, my sister snuck into my room when she was about seven years old and broke the thing, just oh, wanting to play with it. God. I wanted to separate to say, oh, my God, <laughs> I'm still salty about it. Damn you, Val. Stay the fuck out of my room. Anyway, uh, we had a, agreed to arrive early to beat the crowds, but now the place was filling up as I waited, tightly gripping my mother's hand and feeling completely lost in a sea of adults. I noticed a familiar looking woman sitting at a nearby booth trying to catch my attention with a warm, comforting smile. I smiled back, grateful for the encouragement, and even at my young age, I was vaguely aware of the effort it must have taken to notice a small, slightly stressed out child. The woman, Nichelle Nichols. From that moment, and for so many others, I am a lifelong Star Trek fan. That kind of meaningful experience between fan and art is the inspiration for the 1999 DreamWorks film Galaxy Quest, which can be best described as a love letter to sci-fi fandom and more specifically to Star Trek fans, uh, Trekkers or Trekkies, depending on Mm -hmm. uh, which term you find offensive. Don't get it wrong. Mixed company can be dangerous. (laughs) My uh, I feel like Trekker was the the affectionate term until the Trekkies documentary come out. And I feel like, you know, the the fandoms kind of like you know, a little less constipated nowadays you know like star trek is is big 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 beloved business worldwide it's not so much a nichey nerdy thing so you know yeah. we, we've relaxed a little bit uh my husband and i stumbled across this film shortly after its original december 99 release and has been a family favorite ever since a lot to love about this film. The casting was celebrated dramatic actors as frustrated TV, quote-unquote, has-beens. The physical quirks and vocal patterns used to portray the octopus-shaped aliens acclimatizing to their human forms. Um, and a substantial special effects budget, including creature design by Stan Winston Studios. Stan Winston, nice. one of the greats. Uh, the man who made the Terminator skeletons look fucking menacing instead of goofy. But our favorite secret sauce is the performance of the late actor Robin Sachs, who brings a real gravitas and believability to the villainous Ceres, a murderous Grinch-like creature clothed in serious-looking battle armor. Without his menacing performance, I'd argue the film could not have worked. Um, I agree. And one thing I didn't realize until I was watching this movie is this is just a PG. This is not a PG-13 movie. And I feel like if Ceres were played jokey and not like a credible threat, Anne's right, this movie kind of would have collapsed because, and man, they've got a pretty serious torture scene in this movie. Yeah. Um, There's a decent amount of death and devastation, but I did, the things that jumped out at me is there's a few lines where they overdubbed, like Sigourney Weaver clearly says, well, fuck this when she sees the <laughs> the arbitrarily arduous path through the reactor core, uh, and they they overdub that. And there's something there's someone else about uh, someone got a shit turned into something less offensive. Hmm. Um, to the point where I actually looked at, I paused and looked at my Amazon copy. Like, did I buy the like, you know, uh, the parents watchdog group edition of this film or what? But uh-huh. no, it's just a it's a just a PG movie. Um, hmm which is interesting that they were able to do all the things and this holds up very well as an adult film and it has that menace despite the, yeah, the I, relaxed I f- parental guidance. I feel like that falls mostly in line with Star Trek. Like Star Trek has some themes, I would say, that are maybe a little challenging for children um, or a little too risque for children at times. Um, but 
you know, Star Trek is not a show that uses a lot of cursing uh, or any well, that I can think of. Up up until recent days, Star Trek well, Picard's okay, yeah. got fucks and then shits and... Yeah, you know. I'm talking about the original series. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not a yeah. show that did anything beyond a PG, uh, maybe right. bleeding over to PG-13 occasionally, but yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. It works. Yeah, there. Although, man, watching that season one, the the penultimate episode with the the invasive cockroach neck gill parasites, pretty oh, fucking next horrific. Generation. Yeah, I I wish that, that was, was PG. I wish I I wish I could see that coming as like a twelve year old watching because it scared the shit out of me. Um, yeah. before I f- I forgot to do my standard shtick, which is kind of like break down the production and the casting and all that stuff. Um, okay. this movie is directed by Dean Parasot, uh, who directed a lot of weird offbeat TV comedies back in like the eighties and nineties, um, like Monk, uh, Northern Exposure, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, he hasn't done a lot of Hollywood work, but he is um uh, attached or he is the director of the upcoming Bill and Ted Face the Music. Which huh. will be out in a couple of weeks, which is an interesting little uh, connection because we're going to be talking about that pretty soon. We are. It was written by David Howard and Robert Gordon. Um, it stars, of course, Tim Allen at the height of his home improvement fame. You yeah. know, he will later be uh, the voice of Buzz Lightyear on Toy Story. Uh, stars Sigourney Weaver, who, of course, is uh, famously Ellen Ripley in the Aliens franchise. Alan Rickman, uh, you know him from Love Actually and Professor Snape from the Harry Potter franchise. Tony Shalhoub, um, appearing in Monk, Wings, and currently The Marvelous Miss Maisel. Sam Rockwell, who's been in a ton of shit. Moon, Charlie's Angels, The Green Mile. Jojo Rabbit uh, had a really interesting offbeat kind of Nazi character in that film. Uh, Daryl Mitchell, which... This seemed to be like his career launch vehicle. And then shortly after this film, he had a motorcycle accident, which paralyzed him from the waist down, um, which slowed down his career. But he's been doing a lot of advocacy for uh, disabled people and I guess has been in a recurring role since like the season two or three of Fear the Walking Dead. Hmm. Um, Bad news for him because that almost ensures that I'll never see it. Yeah. (laughs) His work. But um also, uh, Enrico Colon Tony, who was had a fairly memorable memorable role in the back half of this uh, last season of Westworld, season three. Uh, really? Rain Wilson, Rain yeah. Wilson's debut performance because uh, he's more famous uh, from the from The Office, and also Missy Pyle, who I always enjoy when I see her. She she plays she's kind of like my definition of quirky uh uh a, a, a comedic actor and she's been in big fish 51st dates dodgeball very mm-hmm. great in dodgeball and the artist um it's funny cuz we we talked a lot about how this film is a uh, affectionate love letter and not like spaceballs and apparently Harold Ramis was supposed to direct this film and he was taking it very far down the spaceballs route um, by all accounts um, that he wanted to be a lot more jokey and a lot more, you know, laughing at rather than laughing with, mm-hmm. and uh, it all fell apart because he and he wanted to. He, he he. There's a big dispute about who to cast as the central role. He wanted Alec Baldwin, someone more serious, actiony, uh, and and with less comic comic roles, and he wasn't able to get that done. So he exited. Uh, then came in. Uh, Dean Parasot, which has that kind of like offbeat, quirky directorial background, and he crushed it. Um, him and the the writing team just crushed it. So, 
Um, I would normally not say that it was an upgrade to lose the great late Harold Ramis, but it might have saved this project. Yeah. Uh, or though, I don't know. Maybe Spaceballs take on Star Trek wouldn't be terrible either. Who knows? I don't know. Spaceballs is a movie you watch twice. This is a movie you can watch over and over again. This, this is one of those movies that it's on television and you just leave it on, right? It's very rewind. I, I, I had that in my notes, too, that like um, I've seen it six times in its entirety. I've probably seen it another six times because like, oh, shit, this is the part where uh, Tim Allen's about to fight the boulder monster. Well, hell, yeah. I got to stay here now, you know. Right. And uh, then the th- part- th- that scene's over and you're like, well, the rest of it's so good. You just get caught up in right. it. Right. Right, you get oh here's Alan Rickman. He's about to unironically do the Grapthar's hammer. Like oh, I gotta stay for that. Like it's uh, it's uh, there's no scene where you come in and like oh yeah this is the bad part of the movie. Because no. the other thing, it's brisk. It yeah. moves right along. An hour and forty minutes uh, packs a lot of par- uh, a lot of a lot of plot and a lot of heart into those uh, hour forty. And, and they're um, able to not linger on one thing too long. They're always jumping from you know you know, got this cast of characters so they can jump from. <laughs> one neuroses to another. Uh, mm. They can jump from one bit of action to an emotional moment. Uh, the, the pacing in this film is really, really good. Yeah, and they have like every character has kind of, or, or at least most of them have an individual arc that tells mm. the story of them transitioning from, you know, an actor ironically being there for a paycheck versus an actor that's terrified to be there for real versus an actor discovering that They've got the right stuff. And, you know, like, and the, the thing is, I really like we just mentioned Alan Rickman's uh, Grapthar's hammer moment. Um, the reason that works so well is because I don't think that Alan Rickman necessarily thought he would win that fight or his character. Hmm. It's more of just like he got caught up in like this guy died with me being his inspiration. How can I? You know, how how can I betray that that memory? And if even yeah. I go and get myself killed, then it's no worse than this guy got. And Sam Rockwell has a similar kind of like, well, you know, if I'm going to die as a red shirt, I want to die as a hero, not a coward. Uh-huh. Um, With the Alexander thing, it, it's kind of cool because it almost has like a Shakespearean uh, epic, you know, dramatic quality to it. Um, mm. the, the resolution of his character. And it makes sense within... Uh, that character's you know world um his character crucially is a very classically trained shakespearean type actor who you know got this job in this series thinking oh this will just be a job and it turned into his life at some point and he's sort of resentful of that um mm-hmm. and so for him to turn around on that by the end is a, a big development in his character but it also makes total sense yeah and it's funny because like they so I, I apparently Leonard Nimoy had a little bit of this in the late 70s where he's just like, you know, yay Spock because it's made me wealthy and comfortable, but also boo Spock because I wanted to be a serious actor and I'll have all these projects that I want to do uh, yeah. and I can't because everyone sees me in like green makeup and ears. Um, and he found but, but then he, he found a way to channel that creativity in other directions like, you know, he became a pretty accomplished director. He uh, directed um, quite a bit of the the good Star Treks and um, it also Alec Guinness, you know, Alec Guinness famously is an asshole to Star mm. Wars, Star Trek fans, Star Wars fans. Yeah. You know, he this is a great actor. He's been in Bridge Over the River Kwai. He's been in Lawrence of fucking Arabia and all these sweaty nerds come up to him and want him to 
to be the be be their Obi Wan mentor, and he's like, "No, fuck off! I did this as a as a lark. I did this to pay the bills, you you assholes." And I, do you think that actors are less resentful of being typecast nowadays, or do you think that they just there's a blueprint for like, well, you can try to avoid being typecast, and if you don't, you might as well embrace this because it's it's easy and it'll make you rich. Because I I haven't heard of late many people being this obnoxious about roles to fans is um, it is it maybe that fans are are getting a little uh better as well um with separating the actor from the fiction yeah i i think you're right because because i don't think anybody yes. thinks that uh, you know chris pine is james kirk or or wants him to just be james kirk forever yeah that might be it's, it. Might be a, an interesting larger point because, like, Anne Marin's talking about going these early cons, and I have a similar experience. I went to Starbase Indy in the late '80s hmm. when I was like 12 or 13, and it was this, you know, like, yeah, a couple, uh, a, a floor and a couple ballrooms at the uh, executive hotel at the Indianapolis airport. And I remember when I showed up realizing because I, I was a dark, I was a, I was a nerd. I got made fun of a lot in school um, for being a Star Trek fan and being a religious nut job and all this other stuff. And I even remember thinking like, oh wow, some of these people are more hopeless than me. I thought <laughs> oh, the, 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 Kl- the Klingons were cool and the costume stuff and that, but like the people yeah. like manning the merch tables and the people who were buying merch, like oh the, and it's like. Um, at a certain point, you've got a critical threshold where, like, in a fandom, if all you have are off-putting weirdos, they drive the 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 normal people out, and you just have this cluster of off-putting weirdos. Uh-huh. Hey, I can be friends with off-putting weirdos. I've got that gene. I'm like the daywalker. I can I can uh, hang in both crowds. But but take a shower, you know, at a con. Oh, know, sure. wear some deodorant, etc. Um. But nowadays, like, I feel like fandom is kind of like the wall, like, it's like the Berlin Wall being knocked down. And, like, uh, you know, people have, like, realized that it's okay to be a massive Star Wars nerd and it's okay to be way into video games. Mm -hmm. Just like it's always been okay to be really fucking ridiculous about your sports fandom. Right. You know, like, you you can paint your body orange with blue nipples and be stripped down to the waist and 30 below weather and that's okay but god forbid you wear a, star, a stormtrooper helmet people mm-hmm. are like no nah, that's all so now like it's it's more inclusive um like the fandom's not quite as obsessed and it's not quite as like downward spiral so maybe maybe yeah we as fans have gotten better about punishing actors like that but i don't know man you see some of this Stuff that's happened in the recent Star Wars movies where people don't agree with certain casting and certain roles yeah. and then they fucking hound people off social media. So maybe. Yeah. I, I, that, OK, maybe I'm just not the uh, the social media person that I I should be or that modern society requires me to be. Because, yeah, I I do see that happening a lot. Um, social media is kind of just like that amplifying voice of of awful <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. around a lot of things, but in this case, yeah, I, before social media became what it is today, I didn't feel like people were doing, th- you know, the, the same kinds of things that they do now, um, as far as yeah, gatekeeping and just like, cause I, I am a kid of the nineties. Like I, I was born in 82. So the nineties is when I was really like watching a lot of Star Trek stuff, both original series, next generation. And 
in certainly in my my friend circle, um, it was very popular. But even if you go to the fringes of it, it wasn't. We were like, all off-putting weirdos, though, Jim. I don't know if you realize. That well, I, it, you know, I I try not to be, but it it happens. You know, uh-huh. you grow up in a cult, uh-huh. so you're going to be an off-putting weirdo. Uh huh. Right. Uh, but but even when I get out to like work environments uh, where there are definitely not off-putting weirdos uh, in every cubicle. Um, people, you know, you talk about Star Trek and everybody's like, oh yeah, and, and maybe they're not the level of fan you are, but they don't, mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel like in the 2000s that people were looking down on me for that stuff. Oh, um, for sure. In the same ways that like, I think people in the 60s and 70s might have been, oh, you guys are weird, um, and probably straight into the 80s too. Uh, but then, you know, it's kind of come back around in this weird gatekeeping environment we live in on social media. Yeah, and I guess now that I'm thinking about, like, it used to be the actors would be victims of, like, misplaced and way overboard love, Mm -hmm. um, and we've been able to handle that as a fandom, and now what we have to worry about is, like, the vicious hate for people that we hate, like... uh, you know, sometimes it's like just because you don't like the character. Sometimes it's because the character is designed to be hated, you know, um, like uh, the guy who played Joffrey, yeah. um, you know, the people being. So it's like we've learned to separate the love like, oh, you know, Bill Shatner is not Kirk. Leonard Demoy was not Spock. But we haven't learned to separate the hate, maybe like Jack Leeson. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, not Joffrey. So, it's, it's also yeah. a question, a question of like how many people are actually doing this? If you see a thousand people on Twitter right. hate bombing uh, Jackie Gleason, because that is his name, right? I think it's Jack Gleason. Jack Gleason. Right? Uh, yeah. I don't think it's exactly the same as the uh, Honeymooners actor, but no, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's Jack Gleason. Uh, if you see a thousand mm-hmm. people on Twitter, hate bombing him because they don't like Joffrey, you got to remember there are 10, uh, 10 to a hundred million people watching this right. show and so the vast, vast majority of them are not doing that, right? Right. But for Jack Gleason, it does feel like the world's coming down on him. Absolutely. And like if, if, if once or twice a week someone on the street's like, fuck you, Joffrey, uh-huh. uh, you know, that, <laughs> that's not, that's not, just like it's not fun to be mobbed by people all the time for wanting your autograph and wanting to have a personal interaction. You just want to have dinner with your family. Like it's, it's both, both sides of the coin are, are fucking, you know, opposite of crazy is still crazy. Yeah. Um, so I, I I thought this uh all this stuff is really cool because you know um when you see these characters hating on Tim Allen it's because the original cast of Star Trek uh hates Bill Shatner um, yeah. I think a lot of them have warmed up and the ones that haven't are probably dead now but like I guess he did some really diva shit you know uh insisted I, I was reading some behind the scenes stuff this morning about like Bill Shatner insisting lighting gets changed on the set so the light the spotlight was on him that like when uh Leonard Nimoy started really blowing up because of you know the popularity of Spock that he started requesting rewrites to minimize his character and to maximize but uh you know famously every time anytime Kirk could take his shirt off he would take his shirt off if he's mm-hmm. got a fist fight or if he's on an alien like you know that that battle damage that shirt gets peeled right off um there is elements of that and oh, the yeah. thing is is like i don't i i I don't know because they play Tim Allen's character as if he's just obtuse like he just doesn't understand the way he acts is off-putting mm-hmm. um I don't know that I believe that about William Shatner, who I love, but like, you know, he probably was a real dick to work with in the 60s. Um, yeah. 
because I don't know. He's kind of megalomaniacal. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's ego. And, and I think it's a little bit of, um, I, you know, in the acting profession, you can be in one minute and completely out the next minute uh, is my impression true. of it. And so and you don't see it coming. Right. And so I feel like those types of behaviors are reflective of a a insecurity um about like just your career because it is kind of inherently insecure so and it is a zero-sum game a little bit like fan yeah. affection you know like and there i mean think f- of how many people are fighting for those roles right how many people would have loved to be captain kirk if shatner yeah. didn't didn't continue to you know serve in some way Right, right. And the writers read the fan mail, too. Like, you know, in season one, Spock blows up. Season two, they start writing scenes for him. And, you know, since it is, uh, you got 43 minutes of television. If Spock gets 20, suddenly Kirk's, you know, only getting 15. So Mm -hmm. I I, I, I definitely see it's just the same reason I'm watching um, in, in my free time this Michael Jordan documentary. And Michael Jordan, similarly, just maniacally focused on winning and didn't give a shit uh, who he hurt in the process because sports similarly zero sum game. If if you're winning, someone else got to be losing, and yeah. uh, you know you don't want the loser to be you. So there's a lot of this like highly competitive, ego driven. Mm-hmm. Um, it is funny though because uh, I always think like you know Michael Jordan won the greatest athletes of all time. Uh, Muhammad Ali, same kind of ego driven, greatest boxer of all time. Bill Shatner, <laughs> greatest I mean, actor of all time. I mean, I, I undisputed, right? He's right up there at the Brandos and the yeah. Uh, that, that, that's <laughs> certainly one of the greatest captains of of a starship he, he, of all time. He does a thing, and I enjoy the thing he does. But it is funny that he's got this overdeveloped ego. Um, you know. I guess that's what what makes it so that's what makes it so funny. Probably also the thing that makes it so maddening to be his co-star, like you know, the temptation to be like, "Look, dude, you uh-huh. know, this ain't Shakespeare, and you're not fucking uh, Hamlet out here. Let's just steer, if anything, a ham. Let's let's tone this thing down." <laughs> yeah, it's like Alexander's character. You know, he he recognizes the somewhat silly nature of what they're doing in this film, right? Of of the Galaxy Quest show, but uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Bill Shatner is an interesting character. Mm-hmm. And I guess a lot of the other things that, um, you know, that they, they, they had in in, in this, like uh, Sigourney Weaver's character being upset that uh, she finally gets a TV guide interview and they spent six paragraphs talking about her, how her breasts get squeezed in uniform yeah. is comes from a real life story by Jerry Ryan, who, you know, uh, blew up in Star Trek Voyager because she has a fucking pneumatic body and they put her in a literally sprayed on the c- costume and TV guy did did do that to her. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember <laughs> how could you grow up in the 90s as a, a, sure. a teen child, a teen boy and not remember Jerry Ryan? I mean, that's the that's a testament to why, you know, uh, we got a lot of uh, flack for not being huge Voyager fans or seeing all of Voyager because I watched the first two, probably even most of the third season. Uh, I stopped watching despite the fact that every week I could show up and see Jerry Ryan looking like that because right. the show is just bad. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. There's a, the, the the other scenes like um, that work on a lot of different levels are like I love when Tim Allen you know, still thinks that he is doing some kind of fan project with these mm-hmm. aliens that show up. And and that that's like the, what's great about this is um, uh, 
the aliens show up at maybe the worst possible time on the day that he's doing this fan junket, this convention. But then I was thinking, like, when would a good time be? Because you show up at any point in this person's life dressed like they do, talking like them, and you're going to think it's a bit. Yeah. You know, like, like he might have been more open to playing along since he was in this kind of fan. Whereas, like, if it had been a week since the last convention and they just show up at his house, he's like... Fucking get out of here. I'm calling the cops. Yeah, they find um, him at the Starbucks and try and pull this, you know. But the all the actors that play the aliens, um, especially uh, Enrico, uh, Cole and Tony, does such a good job when you know he shows up hangover, hungover on the bridge and he's supposed to do this delicate peace negotiation with this galactic badass, badass Ceres. And he's just like, uh, hasn't been listening to the backstory just like, uh, you know what, uh, give him all the blue cannons, uh, shoot the red cannons at him, uh, give him a little taste of the gravitonic torpedoes, and uh, all right, that, that should do it. And the looks on the aliens' faces when all this is happening is just priceless. I, I love the way they, in the second act, kind of like thread that needle between uh, the very real nature of what's happening versus yeah. the actor's delusion of it. And, and it just works super, so well. Super high stakes for them. No stakes for him. Okay. I have a question when he, so I, I get that this is a parody, but I, I'm looking for like, sure. The question marks when he walks onto the bridge of that ship and he starts just, you know, chugging soda and, and just giving flipping orders and not a care in the world. What does he think he is here for? Is this just does he because I think he thinks he's filming something, but if he were filming something, he wouldn't be acting like that. He'd be acting right. But yeah, so they they mentioned something about some fan project that he's got the commitment to the the next day, which I think he thinks this is. But that I mean, but what is the the, fan? So it's just like I'm going to show up and do a public appearance kind of thing. Or like, uh, do you know when they did the the Star Trek old series reboot and someone like built like a replica of the bridge of the Enterprise and oh, they, they cast yeah. it? The They've whole, done like, a they lot did, of these. Like, like imagine if those guys reached out to Bill Shatner and got him to appear as an admiral and just like walk on. And, well, they did like, get Walter Koenig. <laughs> and well, and I'm pretty do? sure he did a better job than this. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's like the 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 parody aspect of it is imagine this guy who's so self-important that these people spent all this like if, like yeah. if it's just what yeah. he thinks it is. These people spent all this time and money and love to build this replica of his ship and want him to just do like a scene or two. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't bother to do costuming, makeup, just goes in there and makes a mockery of it. Like, um, but but that's his consistent behavior, like to all the fans, um, although. I guess that's the yeah. one thing that kind of is weird is that they try to do it both ways where he plays like the Billy, the Bill Shatner um, um, tell tell he plays Bill Shatner's side of like on Saturday Night Live telling friends to, or fans to get a life and move out of their mother's basement. But he also is the guy who likes to show up at these things and get the cheers. Yeah. Um, and and they, they play I, it all. And he's the guy who right. you know doesn't really care about the fan events unless they're big fan events right like this convention mm-hmm. uh you know a few a few fans he's not going to try to impress a thousand fans yeah and even then he shows up late and he makes other right. people wait and he's not very professional about it um but i think it works because it it works in both directions because you've got these aliens who are fans that their lives are depending on it um and then you've got these other like you know c- conventional terrestrial star trek nerds 
whose lives, quote unquote, also depend on interaction with this guy. And he treats them both with this like cavalier callousness. This right. um, he takes it for granted. He does. Um, and I think that's what I, and I wonder because I guess they don't really explain that very well. Like, I understand Alan Rickman's character. Like, he's been typecast and he can't do anything. And he's kind of like almost desperate to for work. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, Jason, the, the character Tim Allen plays, seems like he's got this nice mansion in Malibu. And he but he still shows up to this stuff. I, like I said, it's I think that's some of the stuff where the, the conceit you just have to kind of go with it because it is a little contradictory. It, it's it's rare that an actor would do both of those things, like be well off. And because, you know, Bill Shatner, uh, he shows up to Star Trek cons, but I bet he gets paid a bunch and they're not. They're not the Starbase Indies back in the early 80s at the, uh, you know, cheap hotel at the Indianapolis airport. Uh, he, he's yeah. for big stuff. Now, it's interesting to me, like, um, Anne was talking about uh, going to this convention when she was very young. And having seen Chaos on the Bridge, I'm kind of glad we did these in this order because Chaos on the Bridge yeah. sort of gave me a better understanding of what was directing the whole convention thing. Like, it was... Gene Roddenberry's interactions with the fans, right? They'd write him letters and he would send letters back. He was he was almost more focused, it seemed, at times uh, in the 80s on that than on the actual show he was making, right? Uh, on the community, right. on on engaging with the fans. And I think that's, that's you know, the, the Star Trek is kind of what made sci-fi conventions sci-fi conventions. Uh, even, even, down to the modern era, as I understand it, like it has defined the the science fiction convention, and I think Gene Roddenberry had a large part to play in that. You know, not just by creating the series, but also encouraging those sort of interactions within the fan communities. Yeah, I wonder if any other show would have been big enough to sustain that community during the like the thirsty periods where you didn't have a lot of sci-fi. Like, would there like would, could Buck Rogers right? Would there with the Buck Rogers because I I know Lost at the Star Trek space. conventions you always had like the Buck Rogers booths and you also had the like you know get uh what was it like uh, some of the obscure British shit like what like Galaxy nineteen ninety nine or <laughs> something Who. like that or you yeah. had. You had uh, um, Battlestar Galactica, you uh-huh. know, like those guys would be making appearances in, in the margins of it. But like, were any of those individually big enough to sustain something the way Star Trek was? Because Star Trek kind of barely got the job done. Again, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, these cons weren't like big money, um, but they were enough to kind of keep the the flame alive. Just like I, I guess similar in the Star Wars fandom where, you know, a few like novels and comic books and video games were enough to sustain the passion before Star Wars became big again. Um, yeah. Kind of kept and, that and stuff then, alive. And- yeah, that's the that's the next stage is like. You look at this movie and you look at the con- kind of convention they're putting on here. Uh, yeah. That has changed in the last 20 years. Conventions are just enormous. Um you look at things like board gaming conventions, uh, which is sort of a subset, you know, an, an offshoot of, and they've been around forever, probably longer than sci-fi conventions, uh, sure. honestly, but they're, they're huge. They're, you know, tens of thousands of people, not mm-hmm. a thousand, uh, sweaty nerds packing into a single conference room in a hotel. This is sure. renting out half the fucking conference space in major metropolitan areas, uh, for, for a full week, you know? Yeah. 
Um, no. So so it kind of almost looks quaint what they're doing here in Galaxy Quest now. Yeah, it's like uh, something. You're right, because like, you know, Cincinnati has like three or four different comic cons and science fiction festivals, and we're just a mid-sized Midwestern town. Yeah. So like, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's places in the country where it is a pretty, pretty barren just because there's nobody that, that lives there. Like, I, I don't know if there's mm-hmm. a leading sci-fi con in North Dakota. Probably. Um but like, yeah, this 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 felt like uh, just before like all this, you know, this is because this this came out in 99. I mean, that's right. Yeah. Um, as the special editions had just come out and is right as the prequels are coming out and next and, and the Lord of the Rings came out and then the Star mm-hmm. Trek reboots came out. And then like nowadays, these things are multimillion dollar affairs and they get big, big yeah. games. But like, you know, um, like at the I can't I can't remember who the Starbase like I think, um, uh, shit. The guy that played Montgomery Scott. I think that was the big name mm. that anchored, uh, yeah. the Starbase Indie, which was a pretty James, big get. James Doohan. For, James Doohan, right? Um, which was a pretty big get for the time. But like, yeah. you know, I've seen multiple times where they get the entire bridge crew of like Star Trek: The Next Generation uh, right. at like Dragon Con and stuff, and it like that. That it was just unheard of at the time. Or like so, Game of Thrones, you know, where you get. Like oh, yeah. the major actors, it's it's not mm-hmm. it's not oh we got a couple of people who agreed right. to do this semi shameful thing. Now it's it's pop culture. Uh, speaking of pop culture, uh, I want to talk about some of the careers uh, in retrospect here of some of these actors because uh, you know Sigourney Weaver was already very big by the time this movie came out. Um, sure, she'd been in the Aliens films and Ghostbusters and and all kinds of things. Uh, the people knew her for Tim Allen had an enormous career on television up to this point. 99 is the year that uh, Home Improvement went off the air. I don't, I don't know about your family. I was not allowed to watch a lot of the sitcoms that were on television uh, at the time. Like Seinfeld was right out. And I, I know Seinfeld kind of went off the air a little bit before this, but uh, Friends was a little too risque for my my family's mm. taste. And so home improvement was like just the speed that we were allowed to watch. It was like the, yeah. you know, the PG, PG 13 ish of, yeah. of uh, sitcoms in the 90s. And Tim Allen was was big in the Jones household. Let me tell you. Same. same. Uh, the home improvement was definitely, um, especially the earlier seasons. I think we, you know, like uh, that was something kind of the American experience. Like it was most people abandon a show before it went off the air because like they would yeah, always yeah. just run a show into the ground. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, I, those early seasons of home alone, uh, <laughs> home really, improvement. Fu- really, Oh, sorry. Home improvement. <laughs> really? We're, we're really funny. Yeah. 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 I liked him. Uh, you know, wanted to be Jonathan Taylor Thomas, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, Wilson Tiger was a, a post, great gimmick. poster boy of the month, uh, almost uh, every every single month. Absolutely, and he's he, you know the voice of Simba in The Lion King, like damn straight, a pretty strong young career. Um, not so mm-hmm. much anymore. I, I don't know what he's been in. <laughs> uh, huh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, what has he been in? I huh. couldn't tell you, man. I I lost track of him sometime in the late nineties or mid to late nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Wilson was a great gimmick. It was, it, I don't know, that and Boy Meets World were kind of my number one and two of that era. Um, but Tim Allen was, you know, a big star and a movie star at this point. Like he had done, you mentioned Buzz Lightyear, that was 95. He had done, mm-hmm. uh, is it the Santa Claus? Did he do the Santa Claus before this? I think he did. I, 
don't know. He had a couple that I think were yeah, around that was 94. this period, like Wild, Wild Hogs he was in with uh, John Travolta. <laughs> Did, uh, did you ever get to, get to see I, that fucking I did train not. wreck? That's the motorcycle movie where he rides <laughs> yeah, yeah, across yeah. country or something as like a, a city slickers only with motorcycles. Midlife yeah. crisis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, no, I hadn't seen that. But this was this was maybe the last good movie he was in aside from the Toy Story movies because from here on, it's it's just a downward spiral. Uh, mm-hmm. I think for Tim Allen, if I'm looking through his discography or discography. Um, yeah, when I think of Tim Allen, I think of this. I, I think of Home uh, Home Improvement. I think of uh, Toy Story. Um, and then he's got this new show that I think just got canceled this year or last, like Last Man Standing or whatever. Yeah, I heard that's big. Um, I, I don't watch it. I've I don't watch much it. network television either. But um, yeah. I mean, after I this, he, he did like Joe Somebody and just like a whole bunch of of things that I feel were better serviced by like Larry the Cable Guy than him santa claus yeah sure yeah he he had like this you know if you've seen home improvement you understand the image of tim allen right um and he carried Mm -hmm. that into basically everything he did i I will say i don't think the santa claus movies are awful um i've seen the first two the first one is probably the best as is usually the case no kidding yeah (laughs) i haven't Uh, seen either the first two i saw the last one which was fucking wild why (laughs) Has an evil mecha like Hitler Santa Claus robot that tries to take a it's it's got uh Martin Short playing. I think oh, yeah, but that's yeah. one with Martin Short in it, who's yeah, you and I kind of have a checkered history with him. Not a huge um, fan of Martin Short. Um, he's the 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 funniest man that I don't find funny, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and then the you know, that some of the other notable everybody's kind of notable but notable first in this film are rain wilson and justin long both of them having their debut um justin long actually i don't think had been in anything up till this point i think rain wilson might have done like a short or something some tvs a tv show yeah tv his first feature film yeah yeah um and they both went on to be pretty big stars i mean I wonder why they switched Rain Wilson out because Rain Wilson was like the alien in the, you know, the primary group in the first act and a half. And then it shifted to this other dude that like, I don't know why they didn't give Rain Wilson the emotional thorough line with like Alan Rickman's character. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Because I feel like that would have, but I don't know, maybe he, again, he was a, a brand new guy he had like a line or two and he's recognizable actually he's so young and he's got this dopey alien haircut he's almost unrecognizable because i remember Uh in the lead up to this you mentioned because you saw this movie like a week or two before i did uh on your watch and you mentioned that like you did you know rain wilson's in this i'm like get the fuck out of here and he's like it's one of the aliens and i was like mentally inventorying because there's like (laughs) the four aliens you recognize i'm like no, I almost thought you were full of shit because I thought you meant the Graptar by Graptar's hammer by the sons of Werner or whatever. You shall be avenged. I'm like, that's kind of no, looks that's like Rain Wilson, but he's in not. the hall, right? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, um, but yeah, sure enough, he's there in the like his speaking line is in the limo where he's trying to give uh, Tim Allen a briefing about this delicate intergalactic uh, situation that's brewing. Yeah. Uh, Justin Long, obviously playing the the huge nerd who is kind of the leader of the nerds. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's yeah. he's the guy who holds the group together, and when the chips are down, he can he can bring everybody's knowledge to to bear yeah. on the problem. 
he got very good scores in math. He's going to go to a pretty good university, and he's going to make so much bank in the dot com explosion. <laughs> and he's probably he's uh-huh. probably uh, you know a soulless uh, 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 lackey or or, or um, hanger on of, of Bezos and Musk to this day. Sure, you know, yeah, I can see it. <laughs> if he hasn't been taken down by some kind of vicious sex scandal. It is crazy, though, just to see the beginnings of their careers because they're so well known now. I think Alan Rickman is so good at playing this kind of like actor who's just like the, the his his famous catchphrase is like razor blades coming out of his vocal cords. It's very shades of uh, Paul Giamatti. I'm not going to drink a fucking Merlot from sideways. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, and then the next smash cut to him like choking down Merlot. But yep. uh, his his line reading of them cutting the court the 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 ribbon at this new supermarket by Grapthar's hammer, what a savings! <laughs> it's just so <laughs> funny, and also yeah. he's he's kind of an asshole in the same way that Tim Allen's character is because he's not giving the fans what they want. He's letting his personal mm-hmm. issues and bitterness get in the way of. You know, perform doing this this performance. Um, but God damn, he's so funny. And when he's running around late stage, as you know, after he's kind of fully embraced his his destiny and his headpiece, it, it's I think it's almost intentional that like when his headpiece is immaculate and he wears it, and then you never see him out of it in the whole fucking film. Yeah. But when he unironically embraces his destiny as this Spock-like alien, his headpiece gets shredded, and you can see his hair sticking out of it. Uh-huh. Um, I feel it's like one of those intentional, like uh, Beauty and the Beast, you know, like uh, the handsome heroic figure is the villain, and the bestial, uh, scary monster is the good guy. Like hmm. <laughs> Alan Rickman when he's made up to look immaculately like this alien is not at all that character and then when he's all fucking shredded you can see the artifice that's when the hero comes out i thought that was uh it's funny as hell and also it's 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 uh holding up the narrative yeah i i do wonder what the people at the convention that they land in uh afterwards (laughs) think (laughs) when they see him you know torn and shredded uh i don't know I, i assume they think it's just part of the show but yeah, when that that one dude gets vaporized by a real phaser, I mean, this is like, uh, uh, you know, man, this is some pyrotechnic shit. This is some crazy stuff. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is where they're fighting uh, Garignac. Like, uh, you know, Taggart's gone down to the planet and there's this rock monster and he's fighting it and they're trying to beam him out the whole time. But. You know, it requires very precise controls and they've mm-hmm. never done this before because they there doesn't exist a machine on Earth that could do this. And, the, the you know, trying to transport this pig uh, and it just going sideways is just one of the funniest scenes in the whole movie to me. Right. And it's also like an homage to a memorable scene in the motion picture where they have like yeah. the rare transform uh, the transporter malfunction that McCoy is always dreading and someone gets splanched or uh-huh. whatever cr- cross uh, across beam and dies screaming like uh, that's uh, that's really great. I also love the Laredo taking her out. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. like there's that scene you see like that's like. In the first two Star Trek films, it's like 15 minutes of the running time for both of them, like Sulu mm-hmm. taking it out and then Savick taking him out in a second. And it's always these like long, majestic gliding shots of the Enterprise. And here it's that until you realize, oh, this kid 
not only did you know does he remember how to play this shit from 20 years ago but he was like 12 when he was in he was right. like you know Wes, wesley crusher um having to actually flip a polar uh polarized uh brassard ram scoop and save the day and he just like that that whole cringing like he's just rubbing the, the scraping oh. <laughs> it's just scraping for so long and you're cringing so hard uh, yeah. I I love I love that scene, and then you, the aliens still like once you get once they get free from Doc, they're still cheering because this is the greatest moment in their lives. So, mm-hmm. um, and of course, you know they have some, you know, ridiculous but fun action scenes. Those those uh, the choppers or whatever um, that Sigourney oh, yeah. Weaver says, I'm absolutely not going to do this. It's 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 a great hilarious moment for her character, but also. Uh, a decent action scene, you know. Like the mm-hmm. effects on this thing are pretty good. They're, they're I mean, a this little is cheesy, unironically. But... It's unironically Sean Connery in The Rock. You know, that's it's the exact same fucking scene. Him rolling, oh, you know, going yeah, through yeah. those those you know terrifying boiler scene, sequences. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. Uh-huh. Um, I love Sam Rockwell realizing that he's a red shirt beaming down to a dangerous alien planet uh-huh. and, and being correct about spotting all of the sci-fi dangers. Like, oh, these cute alien babies, they're going to be somehow terrifying monsters. There's going to be 10,000 more of them than you think they see. Um, I I just, man, Sam Rockwell is a very enormously entertaining actor. Like, yeah. can go from this massive swagger to this total abject coward in 30 seconds and believable in both fantastic uh yeah and i've seen him in so many different roles um he plays a lot of bad guys and i think he's a he's somewhat of a bad guy in this movie you know i mean he's clearly like a womanizer or whatever mm, it's true um he's a st- he's he's uh he's uh he's looking for star fuckers and he's only too happy to yeah to in, in a sort of their 50 minutes way. of fame Right. Maybe five minutes of fame, maybe a minute of fame. <laughs> uh, but I've seen him, you know, play con men in uh, Matchstick Man. I've I've seen him play. Uh, I don't want to spoil it too much, but Moon is a great movie with Sam Rockwell in it, mm-hmm. um, in the in the lead role and one of the only roles. Uh, he's he's quietly like one of my favorite actors because he's just oh, yeah. so versatile and so understated in his performances but but sometimes he busted out like in this movie he's really goofy he's the terrifying scum of the earth character in the green mile he's like the worst of of the dregs of humanity like uh oh god he's he's terrible in that film i mean he's wonderful but he plays like Yeah. yeah Um, and in like I like it that sometimes he like does the flip like uh the first role i saw him in was charlie's angels where he, he plays like the person the protagonist is working for and then he it turns out he's the big bad in the whole film uh and huh. like you said he's he's effortless at playing uh, both of those roles yeah so he's really good at he's he's really good in that um i also love the separation of the command deck uh you know this is like the defining thing of the enterprise d and they play homage to that as this the the bridge separates from the mm-hmm. the the rest of the ship i thought that was really cool in fact one of the things I guess I never realized this is many times I've seen this movie, but the protector is the opposite of the Enterprise. 
the Enterprise always having this very large round command section and this very lo- long and pointy engine section. Yeah. And the Protector has this long kind of like nacelle shaped command section. And then its nacelles are these big round spheroid kind of things. Uh-huh. Uh, which yeah. like, I, I, I guess like, do you have any more things you want to talk about the movie? Because I want to get into like the, like the, the trivia, the like the loving homages that they've included. And that was one of them. Like, you know, you got to know Star Trek to spoof it that well that you have this. I and mean, the Protector's a badass looking ship. It's yeah. a legitimately cool starship, but it's also the opposite from Star Federation construction. And I just fucking love it. Well, that's the, the interesting thing about this movie. Like you said, I can't remember if we said it on the podcast or before, but it had a $45 million budget, um, mm-hmm. made $90 million worldwide. But $45 million bucks, um kind of all hits the screen like i see it you know the the oh yeah the effects are really good they have those kind of hero shots of of you know their version of the enterprise the protector uh but this is one place where i feel like it really let me down that saucer separation was one of the lamest things i've seen in cinema period they, they could have done so much more of this because when the Enterprise separates they linger on it right in this they oh, well, just kind of yeah. like hit it for a second and done like right, I wanted yeah, more yeah, from yeah. that scene I wanted a lot more gotcha. from that scene I gotcha it's it's tough because in the context of the film they're just trying to wrap up I mean it's happening in the climax and right. it's like a multi-stage climax you've got like several false endings before you get to the actual ending um, yeah that, that Omega what, what is it called um, the Omega 13 device. Omega 13 yeah you, you don't see them using that until the very very end of this thing right, you almost forget right, about you, it existing yeah you've got the dragging minds defeat the bad guy then the reveal that the bad guy's got his final revenge then the Omega 13 that wipes it out then the fact that you can't stop because you've slung shot through a black hole and you're going to crash into the earth then the ejection of the like all these are the climax, but it just kind of like it's the this movie's having a very it's having the orgasm of its life. This climax is lasting 10, 15 minutes uh-huh. and it doesn't really kind of go into denouement until they land and in, in the convention. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of, uh, like I said, loving tributes in this film. For example, uh, Sam Rockwell's character, Guy is an intentional homage to this Star Trek The Next Generation bit player, Guy Vardaman, who plays a no-name extra in, like, every season of the film. He's always in the background, or he's, like, a helmsman when they didn't have a helmsman. He was Brent Hmm. Spiner's uh, photo double for the entire run. And he also, I guess, did, like, uh, you know, like, uh, was was the camera double for Wesley Crusher. Um and this was like just an homage to his kind of like recurring bit character. How um, does that work? Were they were they at the same height in what season? Like, yeah, uh, I I don't know. I I I, I guess wild. he was Brent Spiner's for the entire thing. Maybe Wesley Crusher, but he, I don't know. Is Brent Spiner's not that tall? Yeah, I'd have to go back and look and see if there was a season where they were about the same height because you kind of have to be. Cause, Cause, like Michael Dorn and, and Jonathan Frakes are very tall, like they're six two, six three, somewhere around that. Everybody, like uh, Patrick Stewart's and and the rest of the crew is in like the five eight range, like kind of normal, normal, yeah, uh, American male height. Um, hmm. And was I? Th- I always thought Will Wheaton was pretty tall for. Anyway, um, 
they also the uh, Thermians say they're part of the. They come from the Klaatu Nebula, which is a uh, really you know a nod back to the Day to Earth Stood Still, one of the foundational huh. science fiction films. Okay, um, not the Keanu Reeves uh, version. No, well, I mean, I'm I, to the extent that uh, no. his main character's name's Klaatu, which I'm sure it is. Why would yeah. they change that? It's iconic. Hmm. Um, also, like Justin Long, we watched Flight of the Navigator what two years ago, three years ago as part of like a live watch thing we did on Twitch. Yeah. Um, Justin Long's running out of the his parents' home with the arm full of fireworks to to guide <laughs> an alien ship in for a landing was was a, written as a deliberate homage to that scene. Nice. Um I thought that was really cool. And also I did not know this, but they were planning they were actually planning a sequel. They're gonna have Galaxy Quest 2 and they folded production when Alan Rickman suddenly and tragically died four years ago damn but i guess they were like full steam ahead barreling down to do a a remake uh which i would have been all in for in fact i i still in like i think you can figure out a way just in and and maybe that's one of the things like i think you could have a poignant through note and like because late in life bill shatner and leonard demoy became unironic friends and it would be interesting to revisit that. Like you guys, you had this rivalry and you kind of hated each other's guts. And then you kind of, you know, warmed up to each other working as actor and director in the various movies. And then what do you do when your most iconic star screen star is, is, is dead and he's no longer on the con scene with you. I think that could be Mm -hmm. part of the movie if they, they did it right. But then again, I don't know. Uh, Tim Allen's getting pretty, pretty, pretty long in the tooth at this point. And I, Um, I'd be scared. Um, I'm always scared yeah. of sequels, but I like this movie is so good that I don't know if they could make anything better. Um, right. And trying, maybe they could, but trying is super risky. But you find that, like I said, if you find that heart, because that's what this yeah. movie does, has a lot of, it's got, it's not just a spoof. It's not a mockery. It's got its own story that wants to tell. And I think, I think, I think there are some, some bones that could put some meat, even without Alan Rickman, as great as he is. I don't know. Um, I, I, this movie feels like a a weird anachronism. It's it's not even an anachronism. It's just like it doesn't feel like other movies. It feels like there's almost too much love in this movie for it to exist in a weird way. Like I, no, I feel I, very warm and fuzzy watching this movie as a Star Trek fan. And I don't get that from so many other productions that try and do similar things. Yeah, I think I think the PG does a lot of that too because it just this film feels very wholesome. Um, yeah, even you might when be it's right. got like Sigourney Weaver's cleavage on full display, and there's clearly some like tawdry things happening in the margins. It just is mm-hmm. relentlessly, you know, wholesome. Everyone's doing the right thing for the right reasons. Um, the the main protagonists, the aliens themselves, are completely guileless and kind of like uh christ-like um yeah. it's uh it's 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 a real wholesome film so all right that's going to do it for our coverage here of galaxy quest uh thank you very much to ann Marin for commissioning this podcast if uh you would like to force us um to in this case very much enjoy about two to three hours of audiovisual entertainment uh you can do that go to support.baldmove.com there's a link to commission a podcast uh you can check it out there and uh, we've got, uh, I think, three projects in the works right now. Um, but uh, if you'd like to put uh, your hat in the ring, uh, just go to support.baldmove.com. And uh, there's directions there. Put your money put your money where your 
internet mouth is your mm-hmm. virtual mouth your cyber that's mouth what they say. But, your, but your real money where your cyber mouth is at support.bellmove.com and we 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 will commission we you will commission us to do something yeah that's how it works uh again thanks to ann marin for these two delightful star trek uh flavored commissions we really enjoyed doing them and uh we appreciate all your support uh so that's it for us uh that's it for us on galaxy quest until the next time here on bald move pulp i'm aaron and i'm jim live long and prosper by grapthar's hammer <laughs>